Unfound has now covered 316 disappearances over the course of almost 400 episodes. It has an interview-based format and concentrates on the facts, not the theories. Today, and for the 16th time, I will take you back to the beginning, then right up to the present as I cover news over the past four months pertaining to many of Unfound's cases. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. But first, Unfound News. I'm in Florida. It's good to be back. I'm still not 100% from whatever I had last week, but I'm working toward that goal. It didn't help that I had a skin infection to go along with the flu or COVID or whatever I had. Next, I received two more letters from Steve Pankey while I was in Pennsylvania. If you'd like to know what they say, please tune in to the next Unfound Live show on YouTube on January 8th. Finally... I already have two TV shows and at least one podcast appearance on the agenda for 2024. I'm hoping this is a sign of things to come for this year. Okay, uh, before I get started into the updates, most of you know what I do first and I explain how I go about doing this. I realize many of you have heard this speech before, but Unfound is finding new listeners all the time, and it very well may be uh, there's quite a few of you out there who are hearing an update episode for the first time. So I just want to go through my process of putting these episodes together, and it's pretty much been the same since episode our update episode number one Way back in whatever it was. Was that 2018? Probably something like that. And that is, I will go through, and it's of course getting more and more difficult now that we have like 320 disappearances and then the unfound nows. It's a lot of disappearances to uh, keep in my mind. But I will go through and check to see if there are any updates on any of... All of those disappearances. Yes, really. And what qualifies as an update? I guess some of the uh, situations be very clear, like remains, of course, are found. Of course, if anybody gets charged with anything, anything that's going along those lines, if the guest has died, which we've had a few of those happen over the years, uh, that would certainly qualify as an update as well. Anything along those lines, it does not have to be the solution to a disappearance it does not necessarily have to be the finding of remains that could lead to the missing person being identified there's a lot of different things that could work its way into uh, an update for a particular disappearance so keep that in mind it very well just even may be somebody contacting me with new information and it could be something like that as well So what I will do is I will check into all of that. I will make sure I don't miss anything or maybe once or twice I have missed a few things over the years after 15 of these. 
but I think I do it pretty well. And that information gets turned into this episode. I don't use necessarily a script. I just type down a few notes from what that update is, and the rest is just done off the top of my head. Now, for this particular update episode, I am going to be reading some articles that were written, uh, which is not unusual. Not very common, but not unusual. So be prepared for those. But for the most part, do most of this just off the top of my head. And so if you hear any ands and uhs and you knows, that's why. Because to type everything out that I would have to say, it would take me weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to do that. So I just prefer to just kind of have a few notes in front of me up on the screen, and that triggers what I need to say. Now something new that's been brought in within the last – well, a couple new things have been brought in within the last few years. Of course, number one is – including the unfound now episodes in these update episodes. That's the series that is on YouTube exclusively. I've been doing that uh, for about three and a half years, and there are certainly some updates regarding some of those disappearances. Those got started getting included, I think, sometime in 2022. And then also at the suggestion of a few of you listeners within the last couple years, I read off like the intro for each of the disappearances that are going to be featured. So you know how an update, uh, the unfound episodes are a little rare in that we don't start with music. We start with me talking and then the music comes in. Well, that little intro there where I talk about John Smith, he was a 32-year-old from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Those also are included for each of these updates as well. Some people wanted me to do that because a lot of people you know, can't remember exactly – what exactly the circumstances were. And it used to be I'd just go, well, we have Tom Brown to talk about, and I just start talking about the update for Tom Brown. A lot of people preferred, some people I got messages, feedback, saying, you know, if you could just do like the intro, that would be helpful to us. So that is also now included in the current version of these update episodes. So that is how this all uh, gets put together. It's not necessarily very scientific, but it seems to work. Uh, And every update episode has been very, very popular. I think all of you like uh, knowing what is going on with some of these disappearances. And I like doing them because I don't ever want to let any of the guests think that we've forgotten about any of these disappearances. And it's also the reason that, of course, after I do the updates uh, for this episode, I will read off every name of every missing person we've ever featured on Unfound or Unfound Now. So let's get started. First one, I don't know if he's ever been included or not, but I wanted to include him because it's just something that's on my mind, and one, this is one of those things that also once in a while I'll do this. Even though there's not necessarily an update, there's something that comes to my mind about a particular disappearance that maybe we need to think about it in a different way. And so sometimes I use uh, these update episodes to do that as well. So we're starting with Jeff Joseph. 
And uh, Jeff Joseph was a 45-year-old businessman from Louisiana. He loved wearing fedoras and never said no to a friend who asked for help. On June 21st, 2014, he was in Northern California for an appointment before heading to land he leased in the area. Jeff never arrived for the meeting and didn't show up at his property later. He was never seen again. To uh, further expound on all that, Jeff was originally in California working in the legal marijuana business. Then he got into the illegal marijuana business and his sister, who was the guest for that episode going way back to 2017, and many others continue to believe that his disappearance is connected to that. I want you all to think about something, though. Very well could be that was the situation. But to remind all of you, Jeff's vehicle is missing as well. And this is a disappearance that's going to be 10 years old this summer. Should we maybe start expanding our minds on this disappearance a little bit? Maybe start being open to different ideas, maybe ideas that don't involve foul play. That should we actually be open to the idea that Jeff and his car went missing together due to some car wreck or something? Maybe instead of us looking at his disappearance along the lines of Eric Franks where he and his car went missing. Of course, his car was eventually found. Eric is still missing. Should we be thinking of Jeff Joseph's disappearance more along the lines of Esther Westenbarger? And eventually I'm going to be talking about uh, Donnie Irwin as well. Should we start doing that? I think it's something to at least an idea to throw around given that uh, nothing, nothing, all the, the most popular theory about foul play has not gone anywhere. Sure, certainly Jeff had some suspicious people around him. That's true. As anybody in the illegal marijuana business, which still is very is flourishing here in the United States, even though many states have made it legal. But you don't hear too many people like Jeff Joseph who are in that business going missing. If this was really a thing and people were backstabbing each other over marijuana and marijuana money, you'd be hearing, I think, a whole lot more than than really what the news is regarding this type of situation. This is why I'm talking about it. It seems to me that Jeff's disappearance within the illegal marijuana growing community of the United States is a bit rare. So should that cause us to take a look at his disappearance in a different light. Could it be something as simple as he was actually going up to his land? He was supposed to be meeting somebody and allegedly didn't show up this, for this meeting. Is it possible he was out in one of those California roads, a deer jumped out in front of him, and he, he and his vehicle flew off the road and just haven't been found? This, these things happen. Just something to think about as I start into these updates. Next update. Flight 370. MH370 was a Malaysian Airlines flight originating in Kuala Lumpur. Its destination was Beijing, China, on the night of March 8th, 2014. Coming up on the 10-year anniversary, imagine that. While flying over the South, South China Sea, all of its communications equipment was shut off, making it invisible to air traffic control. 
An hour later, Malaysian military radar tracked the flight heading northwest up the Malacca Strait. Flight 370 was never seen again. The update here uh, is that there's an ongoing podcast uh, being run by friend of Unfound, Jeff Wise. And I hope you will check it out. It uh, came out in November. And I think the episodes come out every Thursday. The episodes are not very long. There are quite a few episodes so far, but they're not very long. Maybe there's like 12 or 13 episodes, something like that now. So you might want to check that out. It's called Deep Dive. It is on Spotify. It is on iTunes. In fact, uh, it's on YouTube as well. And uh, I've listened to every episode. It's going very, very slowly. Jeff and the guy who's doing it, they're kind of co-hosting duties, I guess, are taking things very slowly. And as many of you already know, there are a lot of uh, uh, technological things, for lack of a better term, uh, that you need to understand about how they were able to track Flight 370 and where people think it went and where people think it didn't go in the Indian Ocean and did it go to Kazakhstan. They're taking it all very, very slowly. So I hope you will check it out. Uh, Je- Jeff has been very supportive of Unfound since he appeared in the summer of uh, 2017. Hard to believe it's been that long ago. But the other update is that Jeff had contacted me and he and I have kept in contact touch pretty well over the last five and a half years. But he let me know early on when this podcast got started that he would like for me to come on and and talk about a few different topics regarding disappearances and some other things that I've sent to him over the years, my insights into Flight 370's disappearance, looking at it from a missing persons expert point of view. So I think I'm going to be appearing on that podcast sometime. I'm guessing within the next couple months. I'm looking forward to it. It's Jeff's show. He determines the agenda. I'll show up and uh, we'll talk about whatever he wants to talk about, of course, within my area of uh, expertise. So maybe you want, if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, Maybe you, you'd like to start so that when, when I do uh, appear on there, you kind of feel all caught up and it's just not like a one-time thing. Ed appears and you're really like, well, what, what's, you know, what's everything that's going on here? How was this all set up in the previous episodes? So those are the updates for Flight 370. Next update, Tiffany Daniels. Tiffany Heaven Daniels was a 25-year-old from Pensacola, Florida. She was a skilled artist and loved to go bike riding. On August 12th, 2013, she left her theater job a few minutes early and went home. After about an hour or a half hour, she left her house, but no one knows where she was going. Tiffany's car was found at the beach. A week later, she was never seen again. So what is the update uh, for Tiffany's disappearance? First, maybe something that is not known to all of you is that The two primary suspects, and when I say two suspects, two separate suspects, I don't think there's any belief if either one of them had anything to do with their disappearance that they were working together. But two different guys who were suspects 
very early on, 2013, 2014, 2015. In fact, going through when Unfound covered Tiffany's disappearance in 2017, both of those guys are now dead. Uh, the roommate, uh, Tiffany's roommate, who is a, an older guy, who after she went missing, he ended up going to Europe and doing something. A lot of suspicious on, suspicion on him. Not sure if he was telling the truth about her coming home and all of that. He's dead. And at the time, the way I remember it, at the time that Unfound covered t- Tiffany's disappearance, at least according to Tiffany's family, the main suspect was this professor at who kind of her supervisor at this theater job that here that was just mentioned here in the information. Well, he's now dead too. So I and I don't know. I don't think there was any foul play or anything like why these two guys died, but they're now both deceased. So that might be an update piece of new information for many of you. But here, uh, the main news uh, that I've learned, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, is but now the family and others are looking at somebody new. And really, really hot on this particular um, particular person whose name I'm not going to mention. What do I think of it? I really don't know what to think of it. Uh, I What I think I can say is I think that Tiffany's family uh, has grown a little frustrated with me. And uh, I, even though I spoke to Tiffany's mother some months ago, was it October of 2023? Somewhere in there, maybe September. I think it was certainly after the last update. So it had to have been in September, October of maybe even in November of 2023. I think that the family's gotten a little frustrated with me because I'm not inclined to believe that there was any foul play. Now, as you know, I don't, in the end, I don't care. There are many guests who I help where they think one thing happened I think something else, and I give you my word, I don't care. I'm here to help even though they and I may have differing opinions. I try to give them my best advice, and I will admit sometimes I do get frustrated when they don't take it. But I will pick up the phone for anybody, even if it's somebody I know, a guest who we've had uh, our differences But I think that's where we've gotten to, or I've gotten to with Tiffany's uh, disappearance. And I think my interpretation is that Tiffany's family maybe takes my attitude a little personally. I do not take them feeling negative about me personally. They're the ones who have been damaged. They're the ones who have had to live with this uh, over 10 years, and so I, I, I understand. I don't know what it's like to feel like that, but I understand it. I give them all the sympathy in the world with the caveat that I also have to be very objective in my work. 
And I just don't think at this point probably that – it just doesn't seem like that's working for them right now. So they've um, – thinking they, uh, they're taking advice from some new people who have gotten involved, and I think that is the reason that this new suspect has popped up. And I actually got to talk to one of these people. I have nothing bad to say about them or, or any anything. It just – doesn't seem there's a lot of factual reasons to think this. So that is the update here, and um, I'll try to keep as best I can, uh, try to um, keep abreast of what's going on with all of this, what's ever going on up there in the panhandle of Florida and whether this is actually going somewhere, but I don't think I'm going to be getting any updates from Tiffany's family anymore. And that's just sometimes uh, the way it goes. But that is the update that the roommate is deceased. Uh, This professor who was uh, Tiffany's supervisor, he's now dead. And that, there seems to be somebody new that the family and these new people are helping them. They're really uh, pursuing this particular person. However, I will tell you in having in talking when I did talk to Tiffany's mother and then to this person who's helping them out, a lot of uh, speculation and circumstantial stuff. But I just don't, I just don't see anything factual at all at this point. My opinion, and I, like I said, I'm trying to be as objective as possible, but I just don't see any reason uh, to believe that Tiffany uh, disappeared due to foul play. Certainly could have happened, but I still don't think there's any proof of that, and that's what I'm going to stick to. Moving on. Next update. Donald Irwin. This is probably the one of the most uh, significant ones uh, for this episode. Donald Lee Irwin was a 59-year-old from Camdenton, Missouri. He was a Navy. He was in the Navy and loved to tinker with electronics and machines. On December 29th, 2013, he got up early as he usually did and headed down to the local store to pick up some cigarettes. He was never seen again. And uh, the big news here is that both his car and Donnie uh, were found within this past month. And I'm going to read you um, an article uh, pertaining to that. On Saturday afternoon, uh, the Camden County Sheriff's pulled the vehicle from the pond and determined that it belonged to the missing Missouri man, Donald Irwin. When the car was found, there were no traces of the missing man inside the vehicle. In a radio interview on December 29th, uh, 2022, Sergeant Scott Hines from the Camden Police Department stated that he did not believe Donald Irwin planned his disappearance. Hines said that Irwin, who left his home early in the morning around 6 a.m. on the day of his disappearance, was missing a leg due to health problems and did not take his wheelchair with him. Hines said he went to get cigarettes and never came back. He did not have his wallet, glasses, or wheelchair. This was concerning as Mr. Irwin was an amputee missing one leg due to health problems. Hines also mentioned in the interview the amputation had altered Donald Irwin's mood. 
who was on several medications at the time of his disappearance. Hines revealed that Irwin did not take his medication with him when he vanished without a trace. Hines further said he was on several different medications, and that was another concern for us. When he left that morning to go get cigarettes, he didn't have any of his medication. He needed to have regular doses of his medication. Hines stated that the $14 gift card he obtained from his wife to buy cigarettes was never used. And shortly after the car was found, Camden County Sheriff Tony Helms in a press release said that they were searching the pond and surrounding areas for the missing, uh, for the remains of the missing man. Um, and you should know, uh, after this article was written, that Donnie's remains, a, a lot of his remains, not all of his remains, were found in this pond. I don't know if anybody is really necessarily surprised by the outcome of this disappearance. I think it's something that uh, I suspected. I think a lot of uh, you who are familiar with Donnie's disappearance uh, suspected it. But if you go back and listen to that episode, uh, his sister, who was the guest, you could probably read between the lines in that interview uh, to know that there was an idea maybe that there was foul play here. I I don't think I was ever a, a big supporter of that particular theory, and I think now the, where the car was found and being that Donnie has been found in in this retention pond, I think puts the uh, the foul play angle to rest. Um, the way the car was found, there was uh, some amateur YouTube sleuther with a. A drone who uh, was over in that area of Missouri, and I don't know if he was searching for Donnie's uh, car in particular or some other disappearance that this guy was working on. I don't know, but he flew over this retention pond, and, and my understanding is that this is less than five miles from where Donald lived at the time. Uh, I have spoken to his sister Yvonne about all of this, but she is still not she's still not allowed to give out the exact address to the public of where this all happened. So I'm still waiting for that. But some guy in the area, or I don't know, maybe if this uh, person goes around the United States with a drone or whatever, was flying a drone in the area, thought. He saw something down in this retention pond. He had gotten permission to overfly somebody's property and saw something, then got permission to actually go on the property with a kayak to go out into this pond, and that is when the vehicle was found. The vehicle was pulled out. Donnie was not in it, and then uh, his remains were eventually found uh, in in the water, I suppose, being that he wasn't found in the car, I guess maybe some people might still be suspicious about all this. Maybe, maybe somebody really did put the car in there and then put him in the water too to make it look they both like they both went in together. I guess that's possible. It just doesn't seem like that's the way it's going right at this point. Um. And given that I don't know exactly where this is, it's hard for me to make a determination. Could Donnie have uh, run off the road by accident, or was this some sort of suicide? It's just hard to say 
at this point. All I know is it's not that far from where he was living at the time, and they are still trying to find – I'm recording this on January 2nd of 2024. They're still trying to um, get – make sure they get all of his remains from this retention pond. I don't know how – Deep this retention pond is. I don't know how many acres it covers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm hoping I'll find out soon. I'm sure I will eventually know. I just don't know it at the time of the recording of this update episode. So this is uh, what we would call a resolved disappearance. Not too surprised by it, but it's one of those things. Why does it take this long? I think a lot of people thought that Donnie and his car would be found together. It's not; It was certainly not a crazy idea when he went missing that he drove off and might have gone into a body of water. But here we are over 10 years later, and it's only getting solved now. This is the stuff that police have to change. All the stuff about how they're doing searches – How is it then that some guy can just roll in, who I'm guessing doesn't even know the area that well, probably if this guy was this uh, guy with the drone and then the kayak uh, was specifically looking for Donnie and Donald and his vehicle. He had to educate himself on the area. Where could Donald have been going? And he figured it out. Why can't the local police figure this stuff out? It's hard to understand. Uh, this is, uh, this is of course, something that got started some years ago with Adventures with Purpose and now has gone on to other people doing this. I support all of them. Uh, the only caveat I uh, ever bring up in all of this is that it probably really gives the public a distorted idea on how many people really go missing with their vehicles. The statistics say about 2 to 3%. That's it. Whereas if all you do is watch those channels where they're going underwater to find cars, you, you get the idea that 50% of disappearances are like this. And, we know, and it's just not even close to the truth. So other than that, they're doing good work other than you know, maybe distorting things. And of course, we also don't see all the times that they aren't successful in, in trying to find somebody. But uh, Donnie, Donald Irwin has been found. His vehicle has been found. I'm pretty secure in the idea that there's probably not foul play here, but maybe something will pop up. Maybe if they do find a skull and there's a bully hole, bullet hole in it, then, of course, everything changes. So that is the update. Donald Irwin and his vehicle were found, and this just happened within the past month, maybe the past three weeks. So very, very uh, new news for this update episode. Next update. Tom Brown. Thomas Kelly Brown was an 18-year-old from Canadian, Texas. He was president of his class and loved acting and public speaking. On the night of November 23rd, 2016, Thomas was on his way home after hanging out with friends. He stopped to get gas in his Dodge Durango. He was never seen again. And this is probably one of Unfound's most well-known disappearances. And you know that eventually in 2019, his remains were found, or partial remains, and it has been... Quite uh, the up and down roller coaster since then. But uh, within the last 
six weeks, maybe. I think, in fact, I think the statement came out right around the, what would have been the seven-year anniversary of Tom's disappearance. We just passed that on November 23rd, 2023. I'm recording this on January 2nd of 2024. This statement was released, a public statement by... Uh, Philip Klein, who continues to be the lead investigator for Tom's family, and I will read um, as much as I can take. Seven years ago this weekend, our firm received a phone call from frantic parents uh, asking us to become involved in the disappearance of Tom Brown of Canadian, Texas. What was a missing persons case has turned into what our team believes is a homicide case. Tom, for all purposes, was a wonderful young man, and I'll skip down uh, through this. As the story goes, something happened to Tom that Thanksgiving weekend, and his body was found sometime later under a tree near a field on Lake Marvin Road near uh, near Canadian. Before his body was discovered, law enforcement corruption was uncovered. That's true. After his body was found, an all-out press for a cover-up was conducted by certain high-ranking officials and media types in North Texas. I'm not sure that's true. This led to a community torn apart in the search for the truth. Our firm did what it could to keep the public informed. Some in the community ripped apart Tom's family, what can only be described as one of the most vicious acts of lies, innuendo, and outright manufacturing of making up facts to fit a narrative. The Attorney General of Texas was called in, and they have come to no conclusions, no matter what the public has been told by those with their own agendas. Since this time, Penny, Chris, and Tucker Brown have endured a horrible slew of lies that uh, has hurt this family like no other case we have seen in the past 37 years. Uh, Klein, uh, our team, is the only one that has been involved since day four of the event. We have conducted hundreds of interviews and statements, conducted testing, and pieced together through evidence gathering a firm timeline of events. We have had some team members, including myself, that have been accused of criminal activity, activity only to be proven wrong. The family has hired legal counsel and filed suit to bring civil justice to their good name being raped, quote-unquote raped. Actually, Phil, it's raked with a K over the coals, which are pending currently in the courts in Texas after being accused of hiding their own son's body in that field, which had been debunked as unfounded years before. A radio station even put up a used car salesman posing as a former state investigator who was really a nineteen year old who was really a nineteen year old when he worked for the Texas uh, the TABC for less than two years in the nineteen eighties and had no formal training in any extensive investigative work. We've watched a mother, stepfather, and a brother cry and ask why would anyone say the horrible things in the public have said to them yet ignore the corruption with the Within the criminal justice system, the same people who are sworn to protect the community cover up a homicide. Like I said, people, I'm just reading this. For either political purposes or other purposes, Tom deserves better. Canadian deserves better. We will announce our decision on our set of lawsuits over the first of the year. If we didn't make, needed to make the decision today, we would file on Monday morning. However, we want to make sure we are doing the right thing. As the Meeks Council has said, enough is enough. In the meantime, in the time of the season, this time of reflection over seven years, we ask the public to pray for the Meek family. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm going to say what I've continued to say for quite a few years now. There's no proof that Tom Brown was murdered. There's no proof that Tom Brown was murdered. There's no proof that Tom Brown was murdered, no matter how much Phil Klein or anybody else says so. Not... uh, 
saying, I, and as you know, I certainly don't believe that uh, that anybody in Tom's family there was any cover up. That you know, for example, as some people have stated, as it says in this uh, right up here, that Tom went home, let's just say, and committed suicide, and his family covered up, or he got home and. Somebody murdered him there, and they covered it up. I don't believe any of that, okay? On the other hand, I don't believe that Tom was murdered either, simply because there's no proof. And when Phil writes things like this, he seems to forget. I don't forget. I don't think many of you forget. But he had a chance, Phil Klein, a few years ago to make his – uh, built his case that Tom Brown was murdered by whoever. I think it was done live. He had control of the cameras. He control of the event. Control control of the event. He could say anything that he wanted. He presented all sorts of evidence. And guess what? People who watched it, who already thought that Tom Brown was murdered, thought, "Yep, Tom Brown was murdered." People who watched it and said, "I don't think Tom Brown was murdered," watched it and says said, you know what? I don't think Tom Brown was murdered. It changed nobody's minds. That's how persuasive it is. And I think really what has hurt is uh, the whole side of believing that Tom Brown was murdered is that they seem to fall for anything. About, you know, some it was had something to do with gambling. or is, Has that ever been proven? These are the things I don't forget. There was some gambling going on regarding high school football, and that's why it's... Oh, baby. Um, there certainly was corruption going on in Hemphill County Nathan, by Nathan Lewis and a few others. There is no proof that any of that corruption caused Tom's death. And there's no proof... That even though there was some paperwork that was manufactured, there's no proof that any of that had any uh, meaningful impact on the investigation to figure out what happened to Tom. None. Zero. And my insight is that there's something in here that just isn't true in talking about the Texas Attorney General's office. The fact is, due, due to Nathan Lewis unethically recording that uh, meeting, what was it now, in August of 2020, we know that the, what the, turn, the Attorney General's office thinks. They think Tom committed suicide. So what was said in here, um, they, and, you know, the Attorney General has come to no conclusions. They stated what their conclusions are. Now, it's not officially signed in writing and stamped by a notary or anything, but they voiced their opinion at that point in that meeting that everybody, not everybody, (laughs) I got to hear it, but some people got to hear it. They said it. We think pretty much that Tom committed suicide. Not, it's not a hard idea to imagine. So this just isn't true, Um, but this goes on. Uh, I 
I'm don't I, I don't think that Phil Klein is very competent. I'm not saying he's underhanded. I don't think he's corrupt or anything like that. I just think he's incompetent. And I really think that he's a lot like a lot of private investigators who really don't know what they're doing. And you also have to remember, although I would never bring up any other disappearances or guests, some of my other guests have had run-ins with Phil Klein, and not one of them has a good thing to say. Something maybe I forget to mention when this whole topic comes up. That Phil Klein, uh, before he got involved in Tom Brown's disappearance, was involved in some of Unfound's other disappearances that we've eventually featured on Unfound, and those guests don't have anything good to say about him at all. Nothing corrupt or anything, or, or anything like that. It's just they never really got the uh, a, a, you know a, a decent idea that this guy was knew what he was doing at all, which is not unusual. Most private investigators are like this. I've talked about this before. This is not personal against Phil Klein. They just don't have the experience. If you want a cheating guy followed. And taking pictures of going to a, a, a no-tell motel with a mistress, private investigators are spectacular. For situations such as this and disappearances and things, they're not good at all. So that's the update. Uh, another anniversary has passed. Another statement by uh, Phil Klein and his team. We are now over seven years into this. People continue. Uh, by the way, I you know there is a part that I do agree with in this, in regarding Phil Klein, regarding what he brings up about that radio host on that radio show, on that radio station, and that guest. Regarding that, Phil Klein gets it absolutely right. It's it, it was, but I don't need Phil Klein to tell me that. As soon as I heard the first interview, of that guy being on that radio show, I knew this is just a mess, just a complete mess. And so I agree with Phil Klein on that. Um, but I don't need, need Phil Klein to tell me that. So there you go. Uh, it continues. Uh, it just doesn't seem like this is going away anytime soon. Uh, but I'm just, uh, you know me. I don't care. Phil, if Tom Brown was murdered and I thought that there was evidence that that happened, I would tell you. There is nothing that I've seen or heard. I watched that presentation from a few years ago, and nothing has changed since then. In fact, nothing has changed since that meeting that Nathan Lewis recorded in August of 2020. Nothing has changed since then. Not one new piece of information. Zero. And so we're still there in which the attorney general who took a deep interest in this said, you know, best we can do is he committed suicide. And that completes this particular update. Next update, Robert Wayne Cox. Robert Wayne Cox was a 57-year-old from Havana, Arkansas. He built himself a log cabin home and liked to tinker around with old cars. On February 19th, 2011, he left his house to take a walk around his property. His wife saw him out there, but when she went to bring him back inside, Robert was gone. He was never seen again, which probably added to this is that uh, in the at least the months before Robert went missing, he was suffering some sort of uh, physical and mental ailment, ailment that was making him very feeble 
and really did not have the uh, ability to walk very far. And of course, this is what makes this disappearance a little hard to understand because his wife claimed that he was outside and uh, she went to go get him. And when he, she went out there, he was gone. Now, I can only say so much about this, but first of all, on one hand, uh, back when this episode came out in 2018, Robert's sister Linda uh, was the guest, and she continues to uh, work very, very hard to get uh, law enforcement to take a look at this. Of course, they did all the paperwork, but since then, not really much has been done. I think... I think there was a new sheriff for somebody that has come in and doesn't seem though like right now there is uh, much going on despite Linda being very hopeful that things might change. I think that if you go back and listen to that interview, I'm not subscribing to any particular theory, but if you go back and listen to that interview that I did with Linda, she is of a particular mindset about what happened to her brother and that mindset comes from what I just talked about. Robert seemingly could not have walked or gone very far going into his backyard. Yes, there's woods out there and everything, but makes it sound like as soon as his wife saw him out there that she went out there to get him and could not find him. Well, when then where did he go? How far could he have gone? I think in the interview, Linda talks about him walking like kind of with like a shuffle. How how do you shuffle away in the woods? It's a little uh, hard uh, to imagine. But you should also know that I've gotten word through the grapevine. It seems like some people on the other side of this are also uh, working on this. And, of course, they do not subscribe to the idea that Robert, uh, his disappearance had anything to do with his wife or anybody else. So I don't – maybe there's like two competing teams here to try to figure out what happened to Robert. And my perception is each team is suspicious of the other. So we have uh, Linda, who's suspicious of Robert's wife and some other people. And then there are people on, I think, the wife's side who are suspicious, even possible, possibly of Linda and members of Robert's biological family. That's about all I can say at this point, really, as far as I really want to go. But that is uh, the update. There are certainly no uh, new facts, re- unfortunately, regarding Robert Wayne Cox's disappearance. Next update, Jonathan Estes. Jonathan Paul Estes was a 35-year-old father of two from Bogchito, Mississippi, probably one of the coolest names uh, of a place we've had on Unfound. Bogchito. He worked in construction and was active in the church. On June 2nd, 2018, Jonathan was at home and spoke to his his best friend. Jonathan then said he was going outside to see why the police were going up and down his road. He was never seen again. Uh, the update here is that rema- some remains have been found in Lincoln County, Mississippi, where Jonathan went missing. So I'm going to read that article to you. And this uh, happened uh, 
in, uh, what was this, like in late November. Yeah. So from Lincoln County, Mississippi, authorities are investigating after a deer hunter found possible remains in Lincoln County. Lincoln County Sheriff Steve Rushing said the remains were located on Saturday, November 25th in a wooded area on Woolly Trail by the hunter. He reported that no one had been to the location since about May 2023. Lincoln County deputies requested the assistance of the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, the Mississippi Crime Lab Response Team, and the Lincoln County Coroner's Office. The remains were sent to the State Medical Examiner's Office for testing. Now, I did do a name search. We realized, uh, with, of course, with the disclaimer that we know that the NamUs database is not complete. It is helpful. It is a guide, but it is not considered to be the end-all, be-all of all disappearances that are unsolved in the United States. Having said that, Jonathan Estes is the only missing person documented on NamUs who went missing in Lincoln County, Mississippi, ever. If you were to go in, some of you I know go to NamUs. You're very versed in using the database there. If you go in there and put in Mississippi, and then you put in Lincoln County from Mississippi, you're going to find one name. That's it, Jonathan Estes. So you would think on one hand, well, maybe this is Jonathan. You should also know that I've reached out to his sister Melissa, who was the the uh, guest for that episode. And uh, she has not gotten back to me, but she and her husband, as I think I've said before, uh, 2023 was not a very good year for them. Not any particular choices that they made, uh, but they were the victims of uh, some violence. But uh, she has not gotten back to me. So, But I have seen her post uh, on Facebook that she is still is not – gotten any word as to who the remains might belong to. And I also took it upon myself to try to get as best an idea as I could about where these remains were found in contrast to where Jonathan was that day at his place when he was talking to his friend and said there was a police car going up and down the road. And the two places are really not close to each other at all. We know that counties are not – Small. Uh, County could be, of course, there's a lot of different sizes of counties in the United States. But I think I figured out that the distance from where Jonathan was living and where he talked to this friend of his and where these remains were found are like, it's like 25 miles. Still, certainly still could be Jonathan, especially if foul play was involved. But if you're thinking, well, if this, of course, it would mean be a lot different if the remains were right down the street had been found right down the street that would mean something totally totally different so i'm just not sure what to think at this time it's certainly possible that somebody came in uh from a surrounding county went camping and died there who had no connection to lincoln county was not a resident of lincoln county but just happened to go missing there or die there certainly certainly possible But it is, on the other hand, interesting that Jonathan Esten is the only listed person uh, to be missing in that county. And on top of everything else, uh, Jonathan's ex-wife has still not gone to trial for the theft of that bobcat. I have no idea what's going on there. If if, uh, Jonathan's sister ever gets back to me, maybe I will have a chance to ask her 
about that as well. But remains were found. It's been over a month. We know sometimes these things take time, uh, even though they shouldn't, but they do. Even with Zoe Campos uh, and some of these other remains that have been found, it took quite a while for them to be identified. So maybe it's going to take some time here. And that, even if the person who's missing, whosoever remains they are, is in a database somewhere. So we might not know for a long time whether it's Jonathan or not. So that is the update. Remains found in the same county where Jonathan Estes went missing, even though the remains location and where Jonathan seemingly last was on the day that he disappeared are nowhere near each other. Next update, Tyler North. Tyler North was a 27-year-old from Harlan County, Kentucky. He was the father of two and loved hunting and fishing. On the evening of Sunday, June 24, 2018, Tyler left his sisters. He was allegedly headed home. However, Tyler turned into a local park instead. He was never seen again. Uh, the update here is we're still waiting for that trial of his ex-wife, her boyfriend, and the other guy who um, murdered Tyler. That has still not happened. And so we'll just keep this one uh, short and not so sweet. Next update, Phyllis Corbin. Phyllis Marie Corbin was a 16-year-old from St. Louis, Missouri. She had behavior issues that caused her to be sent to a juvenile shelter a couple of times. In late September 1963, Phyllis was scheduled to be released after spending a month in the facility. According to paperwork, Phyllis left for home. The next day, someone allegedly saw her at a local bar. She was never seen again. Just within the last uh, two months, I got a messenger message from Donna Corbin, who was the guest for Phyllis's episode. She is Phyllis's niece. And this is an episode, I think, that came out in 2019. But the, the new development, it seems to be that uh, Donna has tracked down paperwork showing that Phyllis was alive. I don't know if she's still alive here in 2024. But that she was alive well after late September of 1963. That she might have gone to a, a different city, changed her name, and uh, Donna continues to work on this. Of course, if Phyllis uh, would be alive today, she was 16 and 63, that would make her, wow, I have to do this, 70, 77, 76, 77. Now, I guess it's possible. That she's still alive, but Donna somehow was able to get her hand on some hands on some paperwork from way back in the '60s, showing that Phyllis most likely changed her name and continued to live after that. How long Donna is uh, still working on that, but it just doesn't seem. I guess what I'm saying here is it was this was not. A situation where uh, Phyllis met uh, her demise, let's just call it foul play, there in late se September or early October of 1963. It seems to me that she might have eventually been murdered, but maybe not until she was 40-something 40, 40 or something. So 
She continued to live, uh, be alive well after the disappearance, the accepted disappearance date. Uh, so I give Donna all the credit in the world uh, for finding that information like seven, 60 years later. That is some really great work. Next update, Dennis J. Lushball. Dennis Lushball, Jade to those who loved him most, was a 44-year-old from Iola, Kansas. He was an only child and worked in construction. On Sunday, August 14th, 2017, Dennis and his girlfriend were allegedly coming back from camping. They got into a fight, and the girlfriend got out of their van. She stormed off as Dennis Dennis drove away. He was never seen again. Um... The update here is Dennis's remains have been found uh, by luck. And so here is the um, article. And this is just within the past month. What's the na- date on here? Uh, all right, so no, it was actually a couple months ago. Allen County, Kansas. An anthropologist identified human remains found over the summer as those of a missing Iola man. In March, so March of 2023, authorities say a man searching for antler sheds calling 9-1, called 911 after finding the skeletal remains. He found them in the area east of Humboldt near Arizona Road and 11, 1800th Street. The Allen County, Allen County Sheriff's Office called in the uh, Kansas Bureau of Investigation to help conduct an investigation. On Thursday, October 26, 2023, Sheriff Brian Murphy confirmed to KOAM the identity of the remains are that of missing man Dennis Lushbaugh. Uh, Lushbaugh was last seen in Allen County on August 13, 2017. He was 44 years old when he went missing. Sheriff Murphy has notified his family. He tells KOAM the cause of death is unknown. But from what they found, they don't suspect foul play. My understanding is that the remains were not were found not far from where his uh, originally his van was found back in 2017. And just as always, we're always left wondering, well, if the reins weren't found far from the uh, vehicle, then why weren't they found originally? I don't know what to tell you. Uh, this is might, uh, might do unfound for the next 50 years, and I still don't have an answer uh, to a question like that. This was one uh, I cannot say that I'm surprised, just maybe like uh, Donald Irwin's uh, resolution. This is not one that uh, I'm surprised by. I realize uh, that in the episode, you could read between the lines that uh, that the guest uh, believed that there could have been foul play here. Did the, the girlfriend do something? Did she get others to do something to uh, Dennis, it just doesn't seem like um, that is what happened here. And, and to remind you, uh, Dennis's mother, Sherry, was the guest. That you know could have been something falling out. Police don't seem to think so, and I'm willing to go along with that. Dennis had a lot of issues, mainly involving drugs. So to believe that if they did have some falling out, and he decided to stay out there, parked his van somewhere, and got high and overdosed. That is not hard uh, to believe at all. 
think we have to also remember that when people are in these compromised situations with drugs, addiction, that your regular illnesses can do a lot more damage than they would on uh, a normal, healthy person. So I'm not saying it's just some. I'm not saying that might have happened here. It very well could have. I don't think there's any proof of that. But it's something that I don't think I mention enough when we start talking about uh, people who, with addictions who have gone missing or they end up deceased. We have to remember that viruses are a lot, lot harder on them than they would be on people who don't have addictions and are actually taking care of themselves. These people uh, who are addicts, they're usually undernourished. They're not uh, drinking enough fluids on and on and on and on and on. They just are ripe for a bacteria or virus to come along. And that's very well what could have happened to, by the way, going back to Crystal Morrison's uh, death. Very possible what could have happened there. So Dennis Lushbaugh remains found not far from where his van was, and I think that that uh, 100% resolves his disappearance. Next update, Jody Hoosentrut. Jody Sue Hoosentrut was a 27-year-old from Mason City, Iowa. She was a reporter and had dreams of hosting a national news show. In the early morning hours of June 27, 1995, Jody left for work. However, she never arrived. Jody's possessions would later be found strewn across her apartment's parking lot. She was never seen again. A couple of updates actually kind of connected to each other. Um, There has been a podcast called The Consult, C-O-N-S-U-L-T, that in late 2023 had devoted a series, three episodes uh, of its podcast to Jody's disappearance. The first one, these are this is a podcast hosted by I think they're all retired, retired uh, FBI profilers. And the three episodes, the first episode was friend of unfound Caroline Lowe was on there and they asked her a uh, bunch of questions uh, about the disappearance. Uh, it's like I said, it's uh, multiple people hosting this podcast. I think at least three, if not four people for that podcast. And they were asking Caroline a bunch of questions. Of course, there was a lot of discussion to it. It wasn't just questioning and answering. But that was the first episode. And then the second episode, the hosts themselves talked about Jody's, what they would call victimology. Looking at her, looking on, looking at what's going on in her life. And I guess the way I would put it, the, the phrase that I use is the disappearances are about people, not about circumstances. So that's how I would term uh, episode number two of uh, that series. And then in episode number three, they got into, well, what is possible here? What, what are the possible theories as to why... Jody went missing and who did it. And really, they only looked at one person uh, in particular, only one suspect uh, did they bring up over and over and over again, and that was John Van Sice, of course. They did not talk about some of these other possibilities that have popped up over the years. Uh, Because there are other possibilities, uh, other people who have been named. I don't know. Of course, we don't know who did it. 
uh, who caused Jody's disappearance, but there have been a, a couple other names that have popped up besides John Van Sices. And it, not to give it away, I think you should listen to it, uh, the series anyway, but really did not get the feeling that either that any of these people hosting this podcast thought that John Van Sice did it. Certainly conceivable, but really did not get the feeling that they liked him very much. Once again, given the totality of the disappearance of his relationship with Jody, on and on and on, which I think... Here, all these years later, of course, we're now talking. It's going to be 29 years this year. Very sad. Um, I think more and more, that's the way more and more people are thinking. That I think early on, 95 and even 2000, 2005, John, John Van Sice was suspect number one. And there was it really wasn't any talk of anybody else. And it really, I think in most people's minds, it was hard to imagine any, anybody else. But now, 20-some years, almost 30 years into her disappearance, I think the thinking has really changed. And I support that. And uh, I've been following Jody's disappearance for almost for almost all of these 28-some years. Uh, and uh, can't say that I've really, really ever believed that John Van Sice was the best suspect. So that's what they got into. That's what this series was. It's over now. It was just three episodes, but please, I would go check it out. Now, on top of that, um, I'm actually going to, to be speaking to one of the profilers. Her name is Julia. Uh, today, I'm recording this uh, on uh, January 3rd of 2024. I'm actually speaking to her tomorrow. Uh, nothing official. I don't think anything on the record. It's not an interview. It's not... It's not going to be an episode for their uh, podcast or anything, but I had sent her, I had sent them a message after I'd completed listening to the series, and I just had some of my own insights and some of my own insights about the analysis of Jody's disappearance, some of the conclusions that I've come to, the way I go about um, my business, because I, I get it. They're FBI profilers, but I do serious work too. Um, and with 300-some disappearances, you uh, build up a catalog of uh, what I, I call being the, my age. I got a Rolodex of disappearances up in my head and trying to apply that Rolodex to Jody's disappearance. So I talked a little bit about that when I contacted her. And, if, and it also helped that, of course, she knows Caroline. I know Caroline. And so she responded back. Julia responded back and said, well, we should talk. So great. Let's do it. So that's going to be happening tomorrow, January 4th of 2024. And I don't know if it's on the record, off the record. Uh, if I'm able to talk about it, then it will be the topic of conversation for probably the upcoming live show on January 8th. We'll just have to see. So that is the update. The, another podcast has covered Jody's disappearance. I thought they did a fine job. And I'll be actually talking to one of those hosts tomorrow. Next update. 
Rachel Sierks, and that's C-Y-R-I-A-C-K-S. If uh, you forget about the spelling of that, but that's how it's pronounced, Sierks. Rachel Lucille Sierks was a 30-year-old from Woonsocket, South Dakota. She was the mother of three and gotten her GED. On November 13th, 2013, Rachel went to pick up her husband, who had been in jail since Halloween, due to him assaulting Rachel. He got out of jail. She was never seen again. Well, uh, in November of 2023, Rachel Rachel's name uh, popped into the news. So I'm going to read you an article from back at that time of mid-November. Sioux Falls, South Dakota is the, uh, the location for this story. South Dakota Attorney General Marty Jackley has given an update on the case of a woman who went missing 10 years ago. Rachel Sierks was last known to be driving around the Huron area with her husband on November 13, 2013. On Friday, Jackley released the following statement about developments in the investigation. In the past several weeks, the South Dakota, Dakota Division of Criminal Investigation and other law enforcement agencies have received new tips and information from the public about Rachel, who was last known to be traveling November 13, 2013 to Huron from Woonsocket. DCI agents are interviewing additional witnesses for the first time who may have information about Rachel's disappearance, as well as doing follow-up interviews with potential witnesses who had been interviewed in the past. Items recovered during a search last week near Huron are further are being are being analyzed. Further searches are now being conducted at locations elsewhere in South Dakota. More information will be released on the search when it becomes available. We want to thank the public for its continued help. People with information about Rachel are asked to call the South Dakota Division of Criminal Investigation at 605-773-3331 or local law enforcement. Information will remain confidential. It is time to bring Rachel home. Now, what brought about all this sudden interest in in Rachel's disappearance in that area? I, I don't know. Was it was it just somebody with a tip? It very well could be. Does this mean the tip has any um, uh, truthfulness to it or honesty or anything? Hard to say. But it it was enough for them to get uh, energized and uh, about going out there and looking around, looking at some bodies of water and elsewhere. I don't know if her husband has been questioned again. In fact, I have to admit off the top of my head, is he even still alive or not? I, I forget. But if he's still alive, did they question him again? I don't know. But it just kind of popped out of uh, nowhere. It very well could be, as many of you have probably recognized, when we get to kind of these um, anniversaries, like the five-year anniversary, the 10-year, the 20-year, it does seem like suddenly some action pops up out of nowhere. And so I'm going to say it's not a coincidence that she goes missing on November 13th of 2023, and then this story, and they're doing work right around the 10-year anniversary of November 20, you know, or she went missing, uh, I should say, on November 13th, 2013, and then it's just a coincidence that they're doing work on her disappearance right around November of 2023, exactly 10 years later. That does seem to happen... 
I don't know if that's the best way to go about things, law enforcement, but it does seem to happen quite a bit. So it just may be that. But they're looking around. uh, But here, as of the recording of this episode in early January of 2024, I haven't seen anything that that came out of this work back in November. But it's I I guess it's nice to know they haven't uh, forgotten about Rachel. Uh, She was surely... Uh, killed by her husband. I don't think anybody really doubts that. Now, what are the circumstances that he planned to do that? Was it a crime of passion? Was he harboring uh, anger toward her because he was in jail? I really don't know. But got to believe that he caused her disappearance and got to believe that the foul play was the cause of her disappearance. So that's the update. Next update, Paul Sanders. Paul David Sanders was a 17-year-old from Mesa, Arizona. He was originally from Missouri and very athletic. On August 14th, on August 14th, 2001, someone, the person may or may not have been Paul, driving Paul's truck was pulled over by law enforcement in Tucson. A chase ensued in which the driver escaped. The truck was later found wrecked several miles away with no signs of Paul. He was never seen again. Um, my assistant, Carrie, and a listener who is a member of the think tank, Jill, continue to uh, work on this uh, – on Paul's disappearance uh, behind the scenes with, uh, by the way, Paul's sister. And it continues to be that this disappearance – doesn't seem to be everything that it seemed to be. Uh, the big problem, I think, for speaking for Carrie, and you should know that I really have not hardly helped them at all on this. This is something they're doing independently. My perception is one of the big issues they've had is there are a lot of – when you really start looking at this disappearance, there are a lot of uh, different jurisdictions involved, and that has been a problem Of course, this is a topic that's come up on Unfound many, many times, jurisdictional issues uh, with police departments. Whether it's a state police or a sheriff like of a county or a local of a town or city, a lot of issues there on top of the fact that Jill and Carrie have run into some people, frankly, jurisdictions that just aren't helpful at all. And I think what I, I want to say about this as much as I'm allowed to say is, is that I think Joe and Carrie really leaning toward the idea that actually Paul was not driving his truck that day, which um, I have to say when I uh, covered the disappearance uh, a few years ago for this uh, episode of Unfound that uh, I wasn't thinking that. But that seems to be the trail that that uh, the Carrie and Jill and Paul's sister are on now and have been for a while. So they'll continue continue to work on it. Uh, if you'll remember, the truck was found wrecked many many miles away from where uh, the pullover happened. Uh, and maybe to remind you, just as an example. It doesn't seem like anybody, any jurisdiction ever did any paperwork on this chase that allegedly happened. Remember, there was a story that, well, the truck took off. They 
the police went after uh, the truck, and then there was a huge rainstorm, and so they backed off, and that's how the truck got away. I don't know how much proof there is that that is what actually happened. There's certainly no paperwork to show that. So I'm not I'm not going in a like law enforcement conspiracy. They're covering something up. They actually caused Paul's disappearance. That's not where I'm going. It's just that things like that have not made uh, Carrie and Jill's job very easy. When the when there's not even paperwork to show that there was a pool that uh, whatever the pullover was and where the chase went and everything, it just makes everything that much more difficult to figure out. So that's where uh, this stands at this time. Uh, some independent people working on this, including uh, somebody in Paul's family. If you're wondering, well, then if it wasn't Paul who was driving, then who was it? Well, I don't think I want to get into that right now. But I I think there's enough work that's been done that it's at least a possibility. It's surely not as sure as it was when the episode came out that Paul was driving. It very well may be that somebody else was driving that truck, and then that, maybe then that would explain why uh, the truck took off because the driver who wasn't Paul knew, I'm going to be getting in trouble here very shortly. I shouldn't be driving this truck, and I'm going to have a hard time explaining why I'm driving this truck, and I'm going to have a hard time explaining where Paul is who is supposed to be driving this truck, and that's why the person took off. Easy to understand. I don't know. It seems like it's more circumstantial than hard, cold scientific fact that somebody else was driving the truck, but it seems more possible than when the episode came out. That's the update. Next update, and I have to admit, this is a big one that totally uh, I, I totally missed when it happened. Natasha Carter and Susan Carter. Natasha, Alex Carter, and and Susan Carter were a daughter and mother, respectively, from Beckley, West Virginia. Susan had another older daughter, and Natasha was 10 years old. Sometime in February of 2000, Susan's husband of three years claimed Susan and Natasha left with a man named Jose or Manuel. They were never seen again. Now, what I missed totally – now, I I realize that – I must have been maybe back in – July or August of 2023 that this had popped up uh, about it seemed like law enforcement or West Virginia State Police were taking another look at Natasha and Susan's disappearances. But somehow I missed that they actually ended up indicting Larry Webb for at least uh, – I'll just read the article for you. Uh, Somehow I missed it when it happened, so I'm just going to read it. Man indicted on a murder charge 23 years after girl mother disappeared in West Virginia. This happened on October 26th of 2023. How did I miss it? I don't know. A special grand jury has indicted a West Virginia man on a murder charge in the disappearance of a 10-year-old girl more than two decades ago. So uh, Larry Webb has actually only been indicted for the disappearance of Natasha slash Alex, not actually for Susan, at least not yet. Larry Webb is accused of killing Natasha Alex Carter, Raleigh County prosecuting attorney Ben Hatfield said Tuesday. Carla uh, Carter and her mother Susan Carter have not been seen since August 8th of 2000. At the time they went missing, 
Susan Carter was in a contentious custody battle with Natasha's father, who was the guest, and had told him he would never see his daughter again, according to an FBI flyer from back then that said the pair might have left the state. Carter and her daughter were apparently living in Webb's house when they disappeared, news outlets reported. In December 2021, the FBI office, uh, FBI Pittsburgh office announced a renewed push and reward in an effort to find answers in the decades-old case, including offering a reward for information leading to solving the case. CBS affiliate uh, WOWK-TV reported that $10,000 reward was increased to $20,000 last month, so in 2023. Police executed search warrants at Webb's home in 2022 and 2023, and authorities said they recovered additional evidence in the investigation. During the last search, Webb, who is now in his 80s, told news outlets he did not know what happened to the girl and did not know when he last saw her. I don't remember, Webb said. I have dementia. I can't say say exactly. It's always curious to me, um, and this is, of course, not to make fun of this disease at all. It's horrible. But it's always weird to me when somebody who has dementia says, I have dementia. It just seems something... uh, paradoxical about that. Webb's had a caretaker, Terry Lilly, residing with him at the time of the police searches. Lilly claimed police removed items including a bullet, flooring tile, and DNA evidence, the station reported. Officials have not confirmed these claims. The disappearance of Susan Carter, who is presumed dead, is still under investigation, Hatfield said. The wealth of, the wealth of evidence that we had pertained to the death of Natasha Alex Carter, he said. Hatfield said police working to arrest Webb, who is currently in a quasi-medical housing situation. It was not clear if Webb has an attorney. A circuit court clerk said she did not have an attorney of record listed, and the public defender's office declined to answer questions. Uh, this is one uh, I think that the police are absolutely on the right path. Now, I, on the other hand, I, I, why did they only indict him for the murder of Natasha and not Susan? I don't know. There is no information that leads me uh, in a direction to figure out why that is. Um, but when we covered this disappearance a couple years ago, what the whole situation, the way it seemed to me, is that Larry, much older guy, Susan Carter, much younger woman. Maybe he felt sorry for her and Natasha or something, and he brought them in, and it turned out that Susan was uh, hell on wheels, which is exactly uh, her her ex-husband, who was the guest, said that she was. And, and you should know that the ex-husband, who was the guest for that episode, not in any way uh, is believed – uh, to have anything to do with their disappearances at all. I just want to – maybe I should state that. Maybe that's not uh, totally clear. His name is Rick Lafferty. Uh, in no way is he suspected in any of this. In fact, he's done the, – the fact that he's tried to do so much over the years, of course, show that he wants this solved and he doesn't mind putting his – name out there trying to figure out what happened. But I'm going to guess that probably Susan got a little bit uh, too much work 
for Larry. A little too high maintenance, maybe cheating on him and everything else. And this was some sort of spur of the moment. Larry Webb thought he was doing this mother and her daughter a favor, and then everything got twisted around, and he did something drastic. Now, does that actually mean that he killed Natasha? That that would explain why Susan went missing, but does it then explain why Natasha went missing? If Natasha saw something, she was certainly old enough to understand life and death at that point. If she saw Larry kill her mother, then, I mean, what's, what's Larry to do? I'm not excusing it at all. It's murder in the first degree. If Larry did this, I don't care if he's 80 in his 80s and had to have dementia or whatever else. Uh, she go to jail for this, whatever the maximum penalty is in West Virginia. But that's how I visualize this happening. Now, why this wasn't clear all those years ago, this is another one of those situations. Why does it take 20-some years to figure this out? Because nothing has changed. There have no, been no facts to my knowledge or even to Rick's knowledge of any facts that have changed. Natasha's still missing. Susan's still missing. Larry's still alive. The house is still there where he was living at the time that this all happened. There's no new information. They couldn't get warrants back then. They couldn't do this investigation that they're doing in 2020. They did in 2023. They couldn't do that back in like, let's just pick a year 2001. It's it, These things are hard to understand. I get it. That, well, they thought that Susan and Natasha ran off. Well, this then goes back to these these law enforcement officials. They just don't know a disappearance when they see one. They don't know a murder when they see one. They can't look at it and say, yeah, the odds that she ran off with her daughter are pretty, 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 pretty low. And I think what uh, the underlying uh, story in all of this is that they, they were actually just hoping that Susan, Susan and Natasha took off on their own because they really didn't want to do an investigation. I'm going to keep defaulting to that. These jurisdictions, these law enforcement uh, departments, they're looking for reasons to not investigate these things. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. That's the only, uh, the only conclusion that I can reach when I hear about things like this. When there's no information for many, many years, then all of a sudden they get interested. Well, suddenly it becomes a thing. I just – and then finally it takes somebody maybe coming along who's a little more conscientious to finally do something. So that's the update. Larry Webb has been indicted for the disappearance of at least Natasha. And when this happened back in October, I, like I said, I try to keep abreast of big news like this. I, this is not something I normally miss, but somehow I, I missed it this time for whatever reason that Larry got charged. I remember them talking to him and being interviewed, and he appeared on local TV and saying he didn't do anything. I somehow missed it a couple of uh, months later that he actually got charged. So that's the update. Next update, Jason Landry. Jason David Landry was a 21-year-old from San Marcos, Texas. He was a college student who excelled at music on the night of December 13th, 2020. Jason was on his way to his parents' home when for some reason he ended up on the wrong road and soon Jason wrecked his car. 
he was never seen again. Uh, what I'm going to do uh, for this one uh, is read the three-year uh, anniversary statement that came has come from uh, Ken Paxton, the office of Ken Paxton, who is the attorney general of uh, Texas. The press release came out on December 13th of 2023. Three years ago this week, a Texas college student named Jason Landry disappeared. Attorney General Paxton and the Office of of the Attorney General's Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit wish to reaffirm their unwavering commitment to this investigation and to pursuing all credible information received from the public. Mr. Landry, a student at Texas State University, was last seen on December 13th, 2020. Mr. Landry's abandoned vehicle was discovered in the early morning hours of December 14th, 2020 on a rural roadway just outside of Lulling, Texas. Since receiving a request for investigative assistance from the Caldwell County District Attorney's Office and the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office in February 2022, the OAG's Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit has dedicated hundreds of hours of investigative resources to the case. This includes conducting extensive forensic testing, issuing numerous search warrants, interviewing dozens of witnesses, and enlisting the assistance of experts with a wide range of specialized backgrounds from multiple government agencies and nonprofit organizations. In November 2023, the OAG Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit hosted an extensive roundtable case review of the Landry investigation alongside experts in digital forensics, geospatial sciences, data mapping, criminal intelligence, and other relevant fields from agencies including the FBI, the Texas Rangers and Department of Public Safety, Texas Search and Rescue, the Caldwell County District Attorney's Office, and the Travis County Constable's Office, Precinct 3. The panel thoroughly examined all parts of the case and concluded that all credible leads and investigative steps have been thoroughly pursued up to this point. The Texas OAG's Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit considers this matter to be an ongoing and active investigation and encourages anyone with credible information about the case to contact the unit at www.texasattorneygeneral.gov forward slash cold case tips. Our thoughts remain with Landry family during this difficult time. Um, you know, I read something like this and I have to admit, I think I have something to offer here, insight into all of this, and I never get contacted by any of these groups. Uh, what I would tell them is that I continue to believe that there is no reason to search for Jason outside of a mile radius from where his car was was found. Now, what makes this more difficult now, given that we're now over three years into this, and if we are to believe that Jason died in somewhere in the immediate area, and when I say immediate area, what do I mean? Within a mile of his vehicle, then we have to start talking about animals and, and, and all of that. And that then makes everything very a lot more difficult. This is in contrast to, we might contrast this with Bowman, who went missing in one of the most urban areas in the United States. And so the idea that a bear or a, a wild hog, remember this is Texas or something like that, is was going to come along and take Bowman away, given we, we now know where he was found, uh, almost just about, of course, not very probable. 
but with Jason being that it was out in a rural area of Texas, then animals play a huge part, and they have to be considered for any disappearances that happen in areas like that, in contrast to people who go missing in very, very urban settings, whether it's L.A. or New York or Houston or many, many cities in the United States. This is what makes Jason's disappearance different from Bo's. But statistically, there is a high probability that when disappearances like Jason and Bose happen, that the remains will be found within a, a mile radius. So a mile in one direction, a mile in the opposite direction, a mile east, a mile west, a mile north, a mile south. This, so it would be a circle that end up would be, end up having a diameter of two miles. It's a high, high probability that at least when Jason went missing, and if we are to believe that he died shortly after this, probably due to some sort of injury, head injury that he suffered, that at least initially he was in that area. And then when it happened after that, hard to say. Regarding animals and where they would take them, and as I've stated also before, what really limits searches i talked about this um if you want to go back to the jamie lee disappearance we we as humans we although we do math and a lot of people can do physics and everything we sometimes don't understand the the largeness of the numbers and how things can get mathematically very complex very very quickly even when you have a, a large group of people, but if it's a very large area and you start talking about people making mistakes, if you miss even just 1%, that 1% can end up being a very large area. Yes, and, and to the point that it's – even though it's 1%, it's still very, very st- uh, statistically significant. I think in contrast to all of us who have been in school, we get 99% of the questions right, man. We just feel like we're the smartest person ever. You do, you know, if you have a child who's in school and gets 99% on every test that he or she ever takes, that child has a very, very good chance of being valedictorian of his or her high school class. Whereas when it comes to searches, 99% is not good enough. And it's, I, I think it's something that's hard for everybody to wrap their heads around, and my, my head included. So this is also what I think about regarding Jason's disappearance. What also comes to my mind is like Daniel Villarreal. What are the odds that he would be found in an outhouse in somebody's backyard? What are the odds that Esther Westenbarger would find the only retention pond near a, near a road to, to drown in in her car? What are the odds? And so this is also what I think about regarding Jason's uh, disappearance. So I just wonder if all of that was taken into consideration. I just wonder if any of those people that were are named, any of these groups that were named in that statement I just read, really understand this stuff. Really, 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 really understand it. I really wonder. Do they understand the statistics about when people go missing and when they're they're usually found very close. Do they understand that how many of these people end up being found in locations you wouldn't normally think they would be found? Do they understand that 
if they make a mistake of just 1%, that could mean everything. I wonder. So you can get all these geospatial people and geography people and everything else out there, but how many of them can really go back and start thinking about many, 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 many disappearances that have been solved and many, many, many that are unsolved and try to compare and contrast between those and then the the current disappearance that they're working on? I wonder. Next update, Brandon Lee Barron was a 34-year-old from Fayetteville, Arkansas. He loved to sing and cook. On June 23, 2020, Brandon's parents saw him walking on the road near their house. They expected to see him at their place in a few minutes. Brandon never arrived. He was never seen again. The update here is that, of course, some of you, many of you now realizing we're now very, very close to the present. Uh, Brandon's disappearance is... One that we only featured, what, three months ago or or something like that? And uh, so uh, we're we're already close to the present, at least for unfound episodes. I still have to do uh, some unfound now updates. But the update here is that uh, Brandon's remains were found about 200 feet away from where his parents last saw him. This is not something that uh, surprises me. Maybe it surprises some of you. I'm just going to read this article. Uh, Skeletal remains found on November 16th of 2023 were confirmed to belong to Brandon Barron. He had been reported missing in June 2020, the sheriff's office announced on Wednesday. Deputies were dispatched to southern Washington County where possible human remains were found on Thursday, November 16th at around 2 p.m. The initial investigation by the sheriff's office confirmed the remains to be human skeletal remains and sent them to the Arkansas State Crime Lab in Little Rock for identification. According to the Washington County Sheriff's Office announcement on Wednesday, November 22nd, the remains were identified to belong to Barron. In the announcement, the Sheriff's Office didn't include information on Barron's cause of death. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Brandon's loved ones during this very difficult time. So, uh, to remind all of you again, you, um, he and his parents had been having some issues. He had made threats against them online. And then on that particular day... His parents were coming home, and uh, they passed him uh, walking along the road. So he's walking in a direction. They pass him from by coming up from behind. Being that they had had problems with him, uh, they kept driving, which I'm, I'm sure was very difficult for them. But he never seemingly did reach their house. You remember there was a wagon that was – earlier scene that was Brandon's wagon that was earlier seen at their house that I think to this day is still missing. But uh, I think that it was once again, kind of like Crystal Morrison, like Robbie Hurt, like some other disappearances that we've uh, featured where it was some road workers or sign workers or electrical workers, something like that, like that. Uh, some people like that clearing out brush, clearing out trees and that is how Brandon's remains were found only 200 feet away from where he was last seen. Now, you should know, I should state this. It was at least surprising to me that this disappearance caused at least a, a little bit of controversy. I was very surprised to see the number of people who actually thought that 
Brandon's parents, at least one of them, could have been responsible for Brandon's disappearance. I will tell you there are no facts to support that. This is something that a couple messages that I got, a couple posts that I saw, people contacting me privately saying this. Am I, Ed, am I crazy for thinking this? I, I don't know if you're crazy. I just don't know if there are any facts to support that. And that kind of uh, went away after the maybe after a couple weeks after the episode came out. But then, when Brandon's remains were finally found and identified in November, I actually got a message from a, a woman who claimed to be Brandon, one of Brandon's very good friends, and she kind of said the same thing. I listened to the episode, and I don't know if all of it should be believed. And with the belief that uh, this woman expressing the idea that, yes, Brandon's parents, once again, at least one of them could have been responsible for Brandon's disappearance. I really did not. Uh, this person who contacted me seemed very sensible. It didn't seem like she was out of her mind or anything like that. Uh, the way I handled it is I just told her. If you think you have some information that or reason to believe that Brandon didn't die just due to an overdose that day, something like that, or an accident, and you believe that there was foul play either by his parents or somebody else, then you should just go to the police. Uh, I don't at this point, I don't know how I can help in, in this and it didn't sound to me like this woman had anything factual at all. It's just that I think in her opinion, she had pretty good insight into Brandon, good insight into her, his parents, knew what was going on there, and choosing to believe that his parents could have caused his disappearance. Now, why that would be, I don't know. But it kind of went away. It was one of those things when the episode came out, got some people rumblings about this. Then it kind of went away. And then once his remains were identified, this this woman contacted me. And I have no reason to believe that she was lying about who she said she was. Sounded perfectly reasonable to me that she was friends with Brandon. And she expressed the opinion that it was not an accident, that there was foul play involved. Whether I'll hear back from her, I don't know, but I will tell you that I'm uh, I'm fairly secure in the idea that there was no foul play, but uh, it's obvious to me that not everybody thinks that way, and that's surprising to me. So that is the update. Brandon Barron's disappearance uh, resolved in 2023, and I think the, the actual number... It was a crazy number, and that actually brings an end to the unfound updates. I still have uh, a few unfound now ones that I need to tell you about. But according to my records, there were five disappearances that unfound featured in 2023 that then got resolved. Now, of course, other ones got resolved, like Donald Irwin's and some others. But from actually episodes that came out in 2023, five of them, five of those got resolved. That is a first, and that is not something that I think I ever could have predicted. 
Uh, and in all of them, the res- resolutions happened not too long after the episodes came out, like Brandon Barron's, the one I just talked about here. And you're wondering, well, what are those five? Alan Glasgow, Brandon Roberts, those two guys were f- actually found alive. Um, Bowman, of course, deceased. Matthew Braswell, deceased. And now Brandon Barron, deceased. But um, I don't know if Unfound had something to do with uh, the resolution to all of them. But statistically, I would have to say that uh, maybe we had at least something to do with one or two of them. Putting in people's minds... Uh, people listening out there and wherever they're living and these disappearances that happened in listeners' areas and them taking an interest or knowing something, not realize they're no, they knew something. Maybe something as simple as one of those, for example, with Brandon Barron's, did one of those guys out there clearing away this brush and trees hear about Brandon's disappearance from somebody or maybe the person's actually a listener himself and knew, hey, I'm going out there. I need to keep my eyes peeled maybe for Brandon's remains. These stranger things have happened. So in 2023, resolutions of five disappearances we actually featured in 2023. That's uh, pretty good. Of course, I wish we could do better. But had you told me at the beginning of 2023 that it was going to be five, I would have been astounded. So we have to just be fortunate with that number. We now move to the updates from the Unfound Now episodes. And we will start with the disappearance of Wendy Guessing, G-E-S-S-I-N-G. And this comes from Rockdale, Illinois. And before I even get into this one, uh, this is very close to the top of my list of disappearances that we've covered on Unfound that I would like to feature as a regular uh, Friday episode. Uh, hope I hope I can make that happen in 2024, uh, just like uh, I've made it happen for the disappearance of Jason Landry and Bo Man, which were both Unfound Now, Unfound now episodes before they became regular episodes. So, Wendy Guessing, several, several members of the Will County Sheriff's Office, the Will County Emergency Management Agency, and Rockdale Police are helping Crest Hill Police search on Saturday for the remains of Wendy Guessing. The Crest Hill woman who worked for Pizzas by Marcelloni, restaurant owner Scott Harris, and was his longtime living girlfriend, vanished without a trace in the summer of 2024. This article came out a couple months ago. On Saturday, Crystal Police Chief Ed Clark told Joliet Patch's editor that his agency is extremely grateful for the help provided by the area law enforcement agencies and search and rescue teams. It is a real team effort, Clark said. Saturday's search in Rockdale was taking place along the wooded Route 6 corridor from the Brandon Road, Locks and Dam, all the way to the Johns Manville Industrial Business. As of noon, no bones or clothing belonging to Guessing has been discovered. He said that in October, Crest Hill Police conducted a search for Guessing at a different location here in Will County, but the investigators decided to return to Route 6 in Rockdale, an area that was previously searched about a year ago. Saturday's search was utilizing more high-tech equipment provided by the Will County Sheriff's Office. 
The police chief said that Connor Sweeney remains Crest Hill's lead investigator, and he's still doing a fine job in the case and working very diligently in the hopes of solving Guessing's disappearance. Uh, To remind all of you, Will County in Illinois is also where Robin Abrams went missing, and I'm sure many of you uh, know the allegations there that Will County Sheriff's Office had something to do with her disappearance, but we have to remember that was... 30-some years ago. But this is the same Will County. Uh, Maybe to go into a little more background on Wendy's uh, disappearance, she was at her boyfriend's pizza place. I think that there was at least one other employee there who was not her uh, boyfriend who was a witness. And the story goes that some guy came in to the pizza place and Wendy just left with this guy. I don't know if this person... Uh, who came in has ever been identified. I don't know if the person who was the witness uh, has changed his or her story since this happened, but that is the general story. Somebody just came in and she left with the guy. Uh, I'm guessing, uh, my instincts tell me there's more to it than that. It doesn't sound to me like she let anybody know she was leaving. She didn't say, I'd be back in five minutes. She didn't say, well, I really go. There's an emergency. Nothing. It was just she was there, and then she was gone, and this person came in, and she went with this person, this guy. And uh, I don't think that her boyfriend, the owner of this pizza place, is considered to be a person of interest at all. Uh, And he has done several interviews over the past couple years, uh, but he's never stated, at least publicly, who he thinks Wendy might have gone with. So I don't know. This is I, I guess you're understanding now why I said I would really like to get a little deeper or a lot deeper into her disappearance at some point in 2024 to talk about all of this so that we can all maybe understand this a little bit better. It just seems – There's just a lot of missing pieces about her being there and then her not being there. Was she threatened? Did some guy just come off the street and threaten her with a gun and nobody happened to see the gun or the knife or whatever? I guess it's possible. Uh, We know that, uh, for example, like uh, the disappearance of Jessica Haringa, who has still not been found from Michigan, working in a convenience store by herself. Somebody came in and took her away. That guy was eventually convicted, even though her remains are still missing. Her body's never been found. But So I guess these things happen where women are working places. A guy will just come in and uh, force the woman to leave. But this sounds like it was like in the middle of the day. There were other people in the in this restaurant. I don't know if any customers were there, but other employees, employees were there. That's what makes it such a head-scratcher. But they're still searching for her, and that's why uh, I read this update. Uh, This story uh, comes to us uh, from a couple months ago. All right, next Unfound Now update. And that update is Caitlin Rose Case. Caitlin Rose Case vanished while driving from Colorado to Colorado from Louisiana. Somehow, after becoming lost in Texas, Caitlin stopped all communication with her family. It was the evening of August 5th, 2022. At first, they believed she was in the area with poor reception, but as time went on, they became more and more worried. There was also a strange pattern of travel that Caitlin took during that time that left everyone puzzled. 
leading Caitlin from Texas to Oklahoma. On August 12th, the week after anyone last heard from Caitlin, Caitlin's brother went to Best Buy, and with the help of an employee, they used the Find My Phone feature to locate Caitlin's phone. Her brother immediately called her father, who was already in Oklahoma, trying to find his daughter. With this new tip, the family immediately found family immediately found the spot where the phone was registering, and sure enough, there was Caitlin's SUV. This is a story that was written at the time. It was wedged between two trees and hovering just above the Kia Michi River, which was 75 feet below. It looked as if someone had tried to drive or push the vehicle off this cliff, but it became stuck between two trees. All of Caitlin's belongings were found in the car, and there was no sign of 33-year-old Caitlin. And that's how the search began. Well, uh, a couple months ago, um, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation confirmed it recovered human remains Friday on private property in Fort Towson. However, the remains were sent to the office of the chief medical examiner for further examination and identification. The USBI, along with Choctaw County Sheriff's Office, Hugo Police Department, Oklahoma Highway Patrol, and the Oklahoma Medical Examiner's Office responded to the area after a landowner discovered the remains. Case's mother, Peggy, says she was notified by the lead agent that a landowner found remains in close proximity to where Caitlin's vehicle was disposed of in 2022. Case fears the remains belong to her daughter, Caitlin, who vanished on August 6th of 2022 during a road trip from Houma, Houma, Louisiana, to her new home in Colorado. Case was driving through Texas and Oklahoma at the time of her disappearance. We've been in limbo forever. Was she tracked, trafficked, or is she still out there? We, we don't know where she is. It is a horrible balance to live through every day, Peggy explained. Each day, it is where she could be. Where could she be? Peggy said the update came as a shock to get that phone call out of nowhere from the lead investigator who has not spoken to us for nearly, nearly a year. We thought he must have a reason to believe it is her said Peggy. The SBI began investigating when Case's car was discovered on private property near Frogville, Oklahoma on August 12th, 2022. Um, so that is the update and, and uh, you should know that um, those, I think those remains, of course, have positively, absolutely 100% positively been, been identified as Caitlin's. So here we have another story. This is uh, – we did a couple unfound nows where people were traveling from one spot to another and disappeared during that trip. In fact, the next update's going to be the same thing. Um, I can't say that I'm surprised by this, only to say that once again we have a situation where the remains are found not far from where the vehicle was. Now maybe uh, – an exception or the issue here is that, as you heard in the article, the remains were found on private property. I don't know if at the time in 2022 when she went missing, where did this uh, landowner allow people to go and search on the property? I have no idea. All we know is when the landowner did find remains there that the landowner came forward but really, this does not uh, surprise me at all. I realize people are going to think that she'd get abducted. She, this happened, that happened. The issue we have is that we just have too many examples of people traveling places and then disappearing all on their own. And uh, from the outset... This is what I thought happened to Caitlin. Now, why did this happen? What was going through her head? I, I don't know. 
Uh, we would really have to know more uh, about Caitlin herself and everything that was going on. Moving can be stressful. It's Louisiana to Colorado, kind of a long drive. And I have to start thinking, did she take something to kind of keep her awake? Was she afraid that she was going to fall asleep at the wheel? Was she afraid that if she had to take a snooze on the way, that you know, if she pulled into a rest area, that something bad might happen there? So she was inclined to take some sort of upper or methamphetamine or something like that to keep her awake, like a lot of truck drivers do. I guess that's a possibility. Or it very well could be that she really had no intention of ever getting to Colorado at all, and she was as she they said in, in this article that their travel was very all over the place when she got into that Texas uh, Oklahoma area was she just looking for a place uh, to cause her own disappearance was she like building up the uh, desire to do it finding the courage to do something that she wanted to do I suppose we might look at it this way we just don't know. And it just sounds to me that she tried to drive off into this river and instead her car got hung up between these trees before it could plunge down into into the water. And so then she figured out, I guess, some other way uh, to harm herself. Uh, I do not believe the foul play occurred. In fact, it might be that she got injured during this attempt and crawled away or walked away somehow, stumbled away from her car, and that's how she ended up on this private property and died. Maybe we might compare this to Jason Landry's disappearance if you're inclined to believe that's what happened with him as well. Very sad. Um, I know for myself, I've talked about this before regarding travel and driving long distances, especially at night. I love driving, uh, going, I'm not much of a driving around town guy anymore, probably because I live in a very, very, very busy populated area, but I don't mind driving distances, uh, getting out on the highway and uh, if it's two in the morning, three in the morning, that is just in my wheelhouse. As long, of course, as long as I'm not tired or anything, if I've gotten some good sleep and prepared, then that is right in my wheelhouse. But for a lot of people, in fact, I would say most people, it's not. Especially if you're by yourself. It can be a little, if you let your mind wander, if you have those kind of thoughts that pop into your head. Maybe it can be a little dangerous. The fear can get to you, the darkness. You're fearing your car might break down or you hit a deer or something. It can, that can make it uh, a lot more difficult. And who knows where your mind might go from there. So I, I've been out there, but I can't necessarily uh, relate to that. But I know a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with driving at night out in the highways in the United States. And there is danger out there. You have to pull in for gas. You have to stop to go to the bathroom. Who knows who you're going to run into. I just don't think that that happened with Caitlin Rose Case. Next update, Andrew Griffin. And I have to say this is probably one of the most surprising, if not the most surprising update of this entire episode number 16. Um... To remind all of you, this is a, this is a 
an unfound now episode that came out this year. This is a situation where uh, Andrew was supposed to be driving from Oklahoma. Here we now we're talking about Oklahoma again. Oklahoma to Texas. And he was on the phone with somebody and said, yeah, I'm just going over a river right there. He was supposed to be going uh, to Texas for work. Never showed up. And that was all I knew when I featured his disappearance as an unfound now episode on YouTube. So here is the update. You might also remember that he was kind of connected to two people, a couple, a married couple who had been murdered in Ohio in 2021, although I don't know if there are any allegations that Andrew had anything to do with that. But he was in business with them or something. So uh, this Unfound Now episode came out on September 1st of 2023, and this article was from October 17th of 2023. An Oklahoma man with connections to an Ohio couple murdered in 2021 was arrested in Texas months after he was reported missing. According to authorities, Andrew Griffin, 31 years old, is now in an Oklahoma jail. In July, the Potawatomie County Sheriff's Office began circulating a missing persons poster for Griffin. At the time, investigators said Griffin was last seen leaving a family member's home in, home in Shawnee on June 29th of 2023. He was headed to a job in Odessa, Texas, and investigators said Griffin was driving a company work truck and never arrived to work. But four months later, on October 8th of 2023, investigators located Griffin at Houston's George Bush Intercontinental Airport. According to Houston police, Griffin was arrested as he deported an airplane. So coming back as he arrived back from the country, the, um, the Central American country of Honduras. You can't make this stuff up. Was he traveling under a false name? I guess not, being that they were able to track him down on this flight. So did they – I guess they knew that he had gone out of the, the country at some time and they were waiting for him to come back. Did somebody tip him off? It is not said in this article. But on October 8th, they were waiting for him at the airport. He comes back from Honduras and they're waiting for him uh, three four months after he went missing from Oklahoma. Uh, 1,400 miles away, an Ohio news station broadcast news of Griffin's disappearance and arrest. In 2021, the CBS affiliate, report, affiliate reported Griffin's business partners, Tom and Angela Strushen, were murdered and their home set on fire. The couple owned two restaurants. We have classified the deceased Tom and Angela on trails and drive as a double homicide, said Sheriff David Lucas, Belmont County Sheriff's Office. That's in Ohio. Despite multiple offers of a cash reward and the calls from the FBI for information and the use of cutting-edge DNA retrieval technology, the Strushen murders remain unsolved. We're hoping to, uh, to uh, narrow their suspect pool to one, said um, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl McCollum, founder of the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. Griffin has never been named as a suspect in his partner's murders. He remains jailed in LaFleur County where he's charged with kidnapping and domestic violence. So to be clear, he goes missing in June, July of 2023 from Oklahoma with a, in a work truck. I guess the work truck was eventually found. And somehow at some point he went out of the country. 
whether his family knew about it, friends knew about it, and coworkers knew about it, it's it's not clear. And I, I've tried to get as much inf- update information I had, I, I could find, but really, there's been no articles written since October regarding all of this. And I'm recording this on uh, January 3rd of 2024. And so then he comes back from Honduras. They're waiting for him. And he's not being charged with disappearing or misleading investigators or anything like that. He's being charged. The reason they were waiting for him is because he was been charged with kidnapping and domestic violence. Like I said, of all of the updates, I think for this unfound now, uh, this particular update, episode number 16, this is the most surprising. I didn't see any of this coming at all. I don't know how anybody, at least in the general public, could have guessed this is the way his disappearance would go. Maybe people who knew him, maybe his family knew, maybe investigators knew, but it certainly was not public. Kidnapping and domestic violence. So... Did he then take off because uh, of these domestic of a domestic violence charge, of a kidnapping charge? That's why he went missing, and they just kind of kept it on the down low. I, I don't know why would he have chosen Honduras. Is it because I'm guessing does Honduras have an extradition treaty with the United States? I don't know. Maybe that's the reason. But then why would he come back to the United States? He would know that people are looking for him. It seems like he was traveling under his regular name, his real name. Uh, could he, I even have it written in my notes here. Was he involved in sex trafficking somehow? Is that what the whole kidnapping part of this is about? Honduras going down there for with children or for children or something? I don't know, but this is uh, a big, big, big surprise. Andrew Griffin. Goes missing in Oklahoma from Oklahoma, and he's caught coming back four months later from Honduras. Can't make this stuff up. Next update, and actually this is the final update for this episode, and that is Fang Jin and John Fitzpatrick. This comes from uh, to us from San Diego. A spokesperson for the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office coroner's office has confirmed a report that the remains of a missing woman, Fang Jin, were found last month in Anza Borrego Desert State Park. Jin, 47, and her companion, John Fitzpatrick, 52, had been missing since late July from Rongo Valley in San Bernardino County, where Fitzpatrick lived. The Fanjing missing persons case in San Bernardino County was closed after San Diego investigators informed us that she had been located deceased in San Diego County. We only confirmed uh, that our investigators had received the information and closed our missing persons case for her. We did not confirm nor suggest that our coroner's office was involved, said San Bernardino County Sheriff's spokesperson Gloria Huerta. Uh, uh, She said this uh, on CBS Channel 8. On September 4th, Fitzpatrick's four-wheel drive Toyota Tacoma truck was found abandoned in the Harper Flat area of Anza Borrego, according to the Sandy San Diego County Sheriff's Office. The vehicle had multiple flat tires. CBS 8 reported the exact location of the truck had not been released to the public. On September 17th, the hiker found skeletal remains believed to be Fitzpatrick's in Harper Canyon, several miles away from the truck. On October 28th, so over a month later, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department Search and Rescue 
Team located Finn's remains in the general area of the Harper Canyon Trailhead. Uh, San Diego County Sheriff uh, had previously confirmed Fitzbody's bo- uh, Fitzpatrick's body was found, and the gin's remains were located in the general vicinity of Mr. Fitzpatrick's. The San Diego County Metal Examiner still has not officially confirmed the identification of either sets of remains. Both autopsies remain sealed at the request of San Diego Sheriff investigators due to an ongoing investigation. In response to the San Bernardino County Coroner's Office release of information about remains being found, San Diego County – this gets confusing – San Bernardino and San Diego County – uh, Sheriff's Media Director David Ledoux said, I cannot confirm what another county's coroner's office is releasing. At this time, there's no additional information available for release from the San Diego County Sheriff's Office. Fitzpatrick was a former Navy SEAL who met Jin online and formed a relationship with her. Jin flew from her home in China to Los Angeles to meet up with Fitzpatrick on July 14th. Still no news uh, since this article came out uh, a couple months ago. What happened here? I think, um, at least originally, this seemed like a situation where uh, Fang Jin, uh, not very smartly, decided to come to the United States and meet this guy for the first time. And then during the course of them getting together, he har- they went missing, and the thinking was he harmed her in some way. And then he took off for parts unknown. He raped her. He killed her. And then he was on the run. But well, now we know that that's not the situation. So are we then left to think that that's actually, actually what happened? But then John Fitzpatrick had guilt about what he did, that he shouldn't have done that. And so he killed himself in response I have to tell you, given what I read here, that doesn't seem very likely either. So, this just is not a straightforward uh, two people uh, going missing and dying as you might think. I, I don't think. I guess what I'm saying is I'm still open to the idea that this was some sort of death Due to misadventure, uh, as we read about people going out, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to go into Death Valley, and they're going to go look at some of the more dangerous parts of the United States, and something happens. A vehicle breaks down, they get a flat tire, they're not equipped for it, and they die due to the elements. They're out in an area where there's no cell phone reception, there's not anybody else in that area. You can get isolated very, very, very quickly. And given that the remains were so close together, and it doesn't sound to me like Fan Jing's uh, remains were hidden in any way by John Fitzpatrick if he killed her, I just it just doesn't seem to me to be a very straightforward... He murdered her, and he had guilt about it, so he killed himself. It just doesn't seem like that to me at this point, and I think that we have to be open to the idea that we may never know exactly what happened here. All I will say is that not very smart of a a woman from any country meeting some American guy over the internet and then coming to the United States and just deciding to get into a truck with him. 
no matter if he was dangerous or not. That just seems like a bad idea. So that is the update uh, for these two now deceased people. No allegations, at least at this point, that either one of them were murdered. I, I guess it's possible that they were out there and they ran into somebody who murdered both of them and that person's still on the run. I think that's still an option. But that is uh, the update for John Fitzpatrick, uh, the disappearance of John Fitzpatrick and Fang Jin. We now know that they are both deceased. And that ends the updates for this episode. If you could now pause whatever you are doing as I now read off all of the missing people featured on Unfound and Unfound Now. Suzanne Lyle, Jason Jolkowski, Jesse Foster, Rose Marie Gayhart, Ben Charles Padilla, Kelly Rothwell, Joshua Guimond, Donnie Smatlack, Andrea Bowman, Robin Abrams, Regina Marie Boss, Christopher Hyde, Jeff Nichols, Rebecca Gary, James Walker, Teresa Butler, Charlotte Paulus, Lola Catherine Fry, Eric Franks, Jeff Joseph, Donna Michalenko, David Medot, Kent Monroe, and Omar Shearer, Claudia Wells, Peggy and Patty McDaniel, Shannon Turner, Brandy Wells, Clashindra Hall, Ronnie Russell, Esther Westenbarger, Shane Fell, Ashley Eifert, Brandon Williams, Craig Freer, Pamela Golden, Chip Campbell, Amanda DeGuio, The Passengers and Crew of Flight 370, April Pitzer, Jennifer Wilkerson, Kent Jacobs, Aaron Gilbert, Tammy Leppert, Crystal Morrison, Chris Turner, Linda Carroll, Nikki McCown, Helen Diamond, Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, Lucinda Hules, Ashley Kohler, Debbie Lowe, Patrick Beavers, Clinton Nelson, Troy Galloway, Patty Action, Danielle Bell, Evelyn Hartley, Dow Phillips, Tyler Stice, Bill Underhill, Patricia Taylor, Aaron Barnard, Jeremy Burt, Brian Sullivan, Nikki Wells, Marina Bolter, Mandy Stokes, Greg Brooks, Rebecca Henderson, Dominic Holly Grisham, Tiffany Daniels, Nicholas Masucci, Donald Irwin, Billy DeSilvestro, Renee Yergain, Mikkel Biggs, Al Copper, J.R. Mollahan, Jamie Bowen, Travis Robertson, 
Rosemary Rapp, Kristen Modafferi, Zoe Campos, Sean Guignard, Thomas Brown, Amanda Fravel, Julie Early, Ellen Sloan, Renee Lamana, Nico Lisi, Leah Peebles, Melissa Hasley, Kimberly Raymer, Stephen Kocher, Bonnie Joseph, Immaculate Basil, Bobby Campbell, Kimberly Norwood, Alyssa Turney, Bobby Tennyson, Dale Kerstetter, Lacey Buenfil, Peggy McGuire, Jansen Brewer and Daniel Braden, Robert Wayne Cox, Lucas Degerness, Stephen Adams, Ashley Summers, Bonnie Degas and Jeremy Degas, Judith Emke, Jessica Hamby, Tim Beauchart, Devin Bond, Juanita Nelson, Desiree Ferris, Angie Yarnell, Deborah Asbury, Sean Kosky, Mary Lands, Devin Brown Busetta, Shanna Boydo, Travis Murrow, Keith Fetter, Layla Faulkner, Megan Lancaster, Kelly Sims, Jack Hemby, Barbara Frame, Dory Ann Myers, Austin Pivo, Christine Hamilton, Monica Appleton, Jonathan Estes, Molly Miller, and Colt Haynes, Donnie Martin III, Kamisha Hollis, Lisa Wallace, Tammy McKittrick, Julie Say, Stephanie Clemens, Andy Chapman, Trevor Nichols, Tiffany Joseph, Tyler North, David Kesey, Lucera Sarabia, Brandy Myers, J.L. Hamblin, Bradley Allen, Timothy Guy, Janelle Matthews, Ronald McNutt, Cameron Remmer, Tammy Arthur, and Chad Peters, Jesse Ross, Lisa Shuttleworth, Jackson Miller, Patrick Reed, Jeremy Goodwin, Mary Jane Van Gilder, Phyllis Corbin, Eric Alvarado, Cassandra Ramirez, April Andrews, David Hardy Jr., Dennis Lushbaugh, Christy Nichols, Chris Sanders, Danielle Sleeper, Julie Wefflin, Shelva Rafty, Rodney Kaiser, Chris Mittendorf, and Christina Branham, Gregory Howes, Brian Cook, Charles Thompson, Jessica Garino, Jacob Weeks, Jackie Bucky Letney, Joe Bain, Vanessa Oren, Jennifer Casper Ross, 
Robbie Hurt, Unique Harris, Doug Jones, Deborah Bowman, Bradley Brooks, Angela Green, Jody Husentrude, Brennan Smokey, Rouse Chapman, Marion Hurley, Gayla Shaper, Caleb Powell, Chelsea Cobo, Bonnie Santiago, TJ Murray, Noah Davis, Patty Dudek, Ben Archer, Jake Lachalet, Sky Burnley, Kayleen Oling, Stephanie Hartwell, Nyleen Marshall, Kaya Taylor, Pearl Pinson, Brenda Condon, Alwyn Albright, Sky Tossick, Sandy Knipe, Brian Schaefer, Teresa Woolard, Toby Anderson, David Schrader, Chance Engelbert, Julianne Jalay, Rachel Sierks, Sean Antill, Randy Duran, Rashawn Francis, Amanda Ward Romine, Crystal Bailey, Brenda Sika, Laverta Sorrell, Nicholas Shin, Kevin Nguyen, Ashley Simpson, Leanne Hosberg, Alicia Markovich, Audrey Heron, Lonine Rogers, Beatrice Viela, Ali Lowitzer, Jamie Peterson, Belinda Blanyar, Jordan Carvalho, Christian Balky Thompson, Paul Sanders, Jennifer Perry, Andrea Knabel, Sebastian Kelly, Marianne Verdecchia, Marcella Krolsi, and Mary Regan, Sue Swadell, Mark Heimbaugh, Dub and Chance Wackerhagen, Kimberly Wilson Talley, Harry Milligan, Paul Egan, Steve Davis, Douglas Crawford, Rhonda Smith, Ryan Stuka, Daniel Villarreal, Mary Watkins, Bradley Straysner, Justin Gaines, Jacqueline Cooper, Holly White, Michaela Bally, Chase Lackey, Belinda Brewster, The Pickering Six, Jay Boyle, Michael Cummins, Danny Higgins, Chad Smith, Robbie Rumbolt, and Jamie Lafaber. Brenda Davidson, Milda McQuillan, Kyle Fleischman, Paris Hobson, Bernard Rusness and Peggy McKay, Jessica Stacks, Natasha and Susan Carter, Angela Freeman, Mark Allen, Mary Cox, Jamie Valdez, Jace Martin, Brandon Rashar, Keith Call and Sandra Haley, Evelyn Piper, Leslie Allen and Children, Matthew Braswell, Brandon Roberts, Emily Richards, Bo Mann, Judith Devers Hyder, Barbara McRae, 
Judy Brown and Richard Riesenberg, Jason Landry, Athel Turner, Treveline Evans, Alan Glasgow, Barbara Cotton, Tony Schwark, Sean Dickerson, Patricia Otto, David Wagoner, Mara Murray, Brian Vargo, Bianca Carrasco, Paige Renkowski, Betty Tepfer, Joel Akridge, Brenda Lambert, Aliyah Boomer, Donnie Atkins, Brandon Barron, Jesse Farber, Christopher Dalfit, John Spira, Patsy Clark, Arlen Bynum, Irene Gakwa, Kenny Weaver, Ashley Higgins, Camille Dardanes, Pauline Diaz, Jamie Lee, Lisa Green, Linda Stoltfus, Erica Lloyd, Mary Lane Carter, Stephanie Hollingsworth, Corey Dale Moore, Alan White, Jason Landry, Aaliyah Scheibel, Kirsten Brueggemann, Mark Pinella, Cynthia Baltraure, Louis Davila, Candy Gonzalez, Justin Siwek, Michael Vaughn, Wendy Guessing, Shannon Miller, Glenda Parton, and Dwayne Selby, Heidi Plank, Stephen Salazar, Lindsay Schobelock, Jordan Simeon, Marie Peter Toltz, Dylan Rounds, Dana Smithers, Gregory Peterson, Caitlin Rose Case, Lorenzo Holmes Jr., Elizabeth Capaldi, Christopher Miller, John Tipton, Maya Blanton, Bao Fan, Shauna Helford, Andrew France, Kay Alana Turner, Andrew Griffin, Fang Jin, and John Fitzpatrick, Reno Long, Chelsea Grimm. Please, if you have the time and passion, please contact these missing persons' families to help them in their quests to find their missing loved ones. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm at Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.